but if we had a Bitcoin world where people had their own money and, and our own economies were prospering, it, the economy wasn't just hijacked by corrupt politicians, et cetera, it would be a very different world. And I think that's the world where we wouldn't really care about borders. We would just be focused on building each other up that would build our communities up and eventually all different countries up in their own different way. So that's why I'm super hopeful for Bitcoin. I do, I do think Bitcoin fixes this. Welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. My name is Alex, and today my guest is Camila Campton. And this was a really fun conversation. We got into a bunch of different things like uh, Bitcoin in South America, Bitcoin for immigrants, you know, stuff with what's with what's going on in El Salvador. Uh, and it's awesome. She's the social media manager over at Swan Bitcoin, and she's doing a fantastic job because you see Swan everywhere. And Swan's a company I really enjoy. I've had a bunch of people from the company on the podcast, and I love referring people over there because there's no shit coins. There's no nonsense. There's no scammery going on. And they're people that really understand Bitcoin and want to see it succeed and are not just opportunists getting into the space. Uh, and I love that. I absolutely love that about the company. I feel good when I refer people over there. Uh, but yeah, she also just started a podcast called Bitcoin in Espanol. And it's awesome. You know, I've been wanting a good Bitcoin podcast. I know her co-host has a great one called uh, Satoshi in Venezuela that he's been doing for a while. Uh, but yeah, I was just, I, I really wanted a solid Bitcoin podcast and I was looking, you know, for people to start it because I don't speak Spanish and they went and did it. And so now I have a podcast to shill uh, to Spanish speakers, you know, in my area. And that's super, super exciting to me um, just to, you know, it's another thing moving in the direction of helping people adopt the hardest uh, money ever created you know money that promotes freedom and sovereignty rather than money that uh incentivizes exploitation and extraction of wealth from the people that are most vulnerable and we talked about that you know like why is south america you know in the place that it is it's a resource rich area and a lot of it comes down to government corruption and she did a really good job of you know outlining that of what's going on in colombia what's going on in mexico you know in all these different countries you know why it's so difficult for people to be successful there and why they seek to come to the united states and she's got a really cool story as an immigrant coming to the united states uh which i really appreciate and i hope you enjoy this conversation awesome well good to have you on camila it was a lot of fun yeah thanks alex for having me i know we've been planning this for a couple of weeks so it's good to finally <laughs> able to be on with you yeah i mean i think the timing is perfect because you guys just launched your uh, spanish podcast and that is something i'm extremely excited i don't speak spanish i can like barely understand it um i should put more effort into that but i was looking for people to start a spanish-speaking podcast so we can reach some more people in my area and uh you guys did it and so now i have a spanish-speaking podcast to show that's awesome. Yeah, even though we've just had our first episode um, and it was a pretty funny one, um, we're still super excited to keep working on it. Um, and we've actually had this in the back burner for a little while uh, because Javier and I are two of the fluent Spanish speaking people on the SWAN team. And so we were like, yeah, this would be a really good idea, especially since we kind of created a small community on Clubhouse, the app, the voice app. Um, we started that there and then people kept messaging us and being like, hey, you guys should start something that's recorded so that people can actually go back to and listen to these really important discussions. So super glad that we were able to finally launch it. And yeah, uh, he's more of an expert than I am. So I respect Javier a lot. He has his own podcast currently also, Satoshi in Venezuela. But I'm really excited to just grow, learn, and like you said, just help Spanish speakers have better information about Bitcoin and Bitcoin-only education. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's such like a big thing. Like when, when El Salvador made their big Bitcoin announcement, I was kind of skeptical because I thought they might, you know, be like a lot of other countries and politicians and want to bring shitcoins down. 
And I think that's still a possibility. Um, and it's just really you interesting. Know, yeah, what's also amazing is someone from Guatemala sent me a news article yesterday about an opinion piece in a newspaper. And they were talking about Bitcoin. And he said, please look at what they said about the other coins. And they literally used the word shitcoin in their article and kind of explain like what shit coins are. And it's like, well, if this is on a newspaper and people are gonna read it, this is a type of education so that people can have and they know how to differentiate from the get-go that Bitcoin is its own thing and that shit coins are something completely different. Like there's just no, no comparison. So glad to see that that message is being pushed to these Latin American countries when they're trying to make really big strides in Bitcoin. Yeah, do you think that uh, people in Latin American countries are a little bit more skeptical of things like Bitcoin and, you know, the crypto space? I think so. And I say that because of my family personally. So I have family that's in Colombia. And when I got into Bitcoin, I started to talk to them about it. But there's really no like interest really. Uh, some of them think it's a pyramid scheme or that it's like not legit whatsoever. Um, and I mean, it's because the Latin American people have been taken advantage of a lot, I would say, um, not only from like foreign people, but also their own people. Um, so it's kind of hard to like trust something from the get-go, which is why education is super important because if we're able to educate them and kind of tell them then they can start doing their own research and make up their minds on their own but when you have a country like El Salvador that is pushing for this like legislation for it to be legal tenor then that's a completely different kind of pace where you want to learn as fast as you can because you know it's definitely going to affect the people of El Salvador and very quickly. Yeah, that's huge. I had Mike Peterson on the podcast about like three months ago, and that was when he he was telling me about how Jack Mallers was going to go down there with strike. Um, and there was no, you know, we were I was asking him about you know the El Salvadorian government and their view on and stance on Bitcoin, and there was uh, not. He said they kind of like are interested in it, but not really, you know, super like excited about it or understanding of it. And it's amazing how quickly things shifted. It was just wild. Yeah, and the fact that <laughs> these people in their government putting laser eyes on, right? And then discussing like what the law is going to be and stuff. It's like, they've kind of done their own research, which is great, you know? Um, they're not just talking out of their butt when it comes to Bitcoin. They have some knowledge. And that's great, but now it's like, how do we how do we get that towards the people that you know, the citizens, the regular people that are busting their butts out there in the sun every single day, the ones that don't have many opportunities. Like, how do we translate that knowledge to them? Because those are the people that really matter, right? Like, politicians can create their own stories when it comes to Bitcoin, so that they can sound much better than the opposing party that they're working with, right? Like they can dress their lingo to sound super smart, et cetera, et cetera. But it's like the people that are really going to benefit are the people, the citizens, the everyday person, not just for political votes. That's, that's what we need to kind of remember that yes, let's applaud these people for making these steps and kind of like putting Bitcoin on the map globally but let's not get stuck there and let's see how we can put our boots on the ground to help it actually succeed in such little time. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, something that I learned uh, last week was that uh, people immigrating in the United States do not have access to financial services in the same way that natural born citizens do like uh, with uh, lending services and um like if they want to buy a car, they're not able to get a loan or buy a house, um, you know, or start a business. Uh, and there's some creative ways that, you know, different communities of immigrants work to like pool their money to help support each other, which I thought was pretty fascinating up in Phoenix. Um, but yeah, you're an immigrant. What, 
what was that experience kind of like dealing with the financial system? Um, so it's super interesting. Uh, I came to this country when I was six years old. And the funny part about it is that I had no idea I was staying. Um, the only reason why I came was because my mom had taken that step to kind of like come here for a better future, et cetera. And when I came here, I thought I was just going to see her. But as, as a six-year-old, you're not really thinking about like 10 years down the line, right? I was just excited to be back with my mom. Um, and so that process was a difficult process because for us to get our residency and to actually get a green card, it took us 10 years. And so it was a lot of just like, don't tell anyone because you never know who's listening and you can get deported if you do. Um, just stay very low and quiet, try to figure out how to, how to get a license for you to be able to drive, at least for, for my parents. Um, fortunately, my, my dad, he, he's the one that petitioned us. So he had his green card and stuff and could work, but it was always like that trying to get two to three jobs in order to make ends meet because when people from Latin American countries come here and even if they have a college education, it's, it's not valid here. They would have to go through like a whole process in order to get it, the license or diploma validated here for them to get a professional job. And then you had the issues with language. So like actually learning English. So my dad learned English through his coworkers and by listening to the radio. It wasn't the perfect English, but he was able to get by. Um, so just from the get-go, like the, it's hard to start from the ground up when you have so many limitations and you don't have the freedoms that everyone does, right? Um, so in terms of the financial system stuff, yeah, I mean, my mom would work she wasn't documented so it was like trying to find someone that would hire her even though she didn't have permission to work and just trying to save up as much money as possible for for the future and for what could be and hopefully always having that hope that one day we're going to be able to have a green card one day we're going to be able to have citizens and have all the benefits that americans do it's just going to take time and a lot of hard work um so after that, you are able to see the contrast of how your life changes so drastically when you have more access to the financial system here. Like you said, it's easier to get loans. It's easier for you to start building your credit. It's easier for you to apply to get a house, et cetera, et cetera. So it was definitely challenging at the beginning as an immigrant to kind of like have the patience to go through all of those hoops to be able to access that American dream that you really want. But then obviously when you stumble onto Bitcoin and you realize what's money, it's like, crap, all of that hard work from all of these years, like our money is evaporating essentially if we keep it in a bank account and stuff. So the next step is kind of like seeing what other opportunities are there for us. Like, we can talk about investments now. That was never really a conversation that we had before. Um, we can talk about Bitcoin now, which I orange pilled my parents and that makes me super proud because it's like, okay, let's try to rescue all of that time, all of those years of hard work that they put in and not let it just go downhill with everything that's happening in our economy. So, I forgot the question, what it was, but that's just kind of like a little bit of, of the story. And that's my story, but I feel like that's the story for a lot of other immigrants that come to this country, like the struggles that they go through just to get by and just to kind of like protect their family. And they don't have big dreams of like becoming rich one day or whatever. It's just, how can I take care of my own people? Yeah, one of the things that I find very, very interesting about uh, people immigrating into the United States, you know, and that includes people that are, are coming illegally is the difference of time preference that um, people coming here have of like, um, had a guy on the podcast last week, you know, whose grandfather came in and was working just like really rough, inexpensive jobs. And, and he had this idea of like, I want to create a better future, you know, for my kids and grandkids. And I'm going to, immigrate and, and do these things not you know to get rich quick or you know have a more um 
stable life, but, but to create uh, an environment where they can, you know, experience a much more safe or stable life. And I thought that was pretty incredible contrasted against, you know, a lot of natural born citizens that are, you know, doing all sorts of silly things and not thinking about that. And then the numbers don't lie. You know, when you look at immigrants and entrepreneurial um, nature, like immigrants are much more likely to be uh, business owners, you know, and, and I think that's great, you know, for our economy, but yeah, I went down. I'm sorry. Just want to add real quick. I think the difference between native borns and people that come and and emigrate are that when you're born here, you usually have it a lot better than people down there, right? With, With better opportunities. Like, honestly, I truly believe that the United States is the best country in the world. Like the fact that my mom came here and we were able to do all of that sacrifice, I'm the happiest I could ever be. I don't really see myself living somewhere somewhere else. Maybe that can change in the future, but I, I freaking love this country. But I think the difference between being born here and then coming is that the people are hungry, like, and not just in terms of like physically hungry, but they're just hungry for a change. They're hungry for that opportunity to have something more. They're hungry for the opportunity to, it doesn't matter if you start washing dishes somewhere or, you know, becoming a farmer, working under the sun, like it doesn't matter. Like you said, there's the vision of like, this is not only for me, this is for the people that I still have back at home because a lot of people also come here so that they can send money over so that they have a better lifestyle. And it's also for what I'm going to be building here in America, my family, my kids, my grandkids. It's, we're, we're hungry and we see the opportunity and we take it and we're not going to take it for granted. That's, that's for sure. We shouldn't take it for granted. Even if we were born here or not, <laughs> no one should take the opportunities that this country offers for granted. Yeah, 100%. I, th- I think part of the reason why a lot of people born in the United States take it for granted is that they have not been outside of the United States and seen, you know, how different, you know, all these different cultures and governments and, you know, communities around the world are. Um, And it's, you know, really unfortunate. And I think also like the topic of immigration is really a tough one. It's a politically charged one. And a lot of people are having it from, you know, a million miles away of not, you know, having met people. Like I used to work on a ranch and and we would deal with people pretty regularly right down on the border um, that were coming across that had walked all the way from, you know, Guatemala, um, you know, and all these other countries. And, uh, you know, when you're standing there talking to a human being, you know, and hearing a little bit about their experience, you know, and I mean, the desert's just so brutal out there. Um, it's so awful. I went down to the border, like right to the edge of the border wall yesterday, um, in the middle of nowhere, you know, we had Mexican cell service instead of American cell service. That's like, how close we were you know that's hilarious um yeah but yeah it's it's unfortunate you know just the way that this political discourse is right now um and i mean i personally don't really believe in borders i think they're rather silly you know and when i see that wall it worries me not just because you know of its impact on you know like the local tribes that are on the border um you know all the uh, create you know its impacts on wildlife stuff like that but like when I see a wall go up like that I was like is that to keep people out or is that eventually going to be used to keep people in and that's concerning that's a, yeah that's a really good observation and coming down on the Bitcoin the Bitcoin rabbit hole it was like the first time that struck me that you know these people shouldn't be leaving their countries because they don't have the opportunities in their own countries. Every country should have their own opportunities. The corruption in politics and in money and stuff, like it's it makes communities break apart, right? Because, you know, I still have a huge chunk of my family in Colombia and I only get to see them once in a while. That was a sacrifice that we had to make. So it rips families apart, it rips community apart. If my mom would have seen that there was an opportunity for us in Colombia, we wouldn't have left. I probably would have still been there, still thriving and stuff, I'm sure. But it just, 
it comes down to that. Like the fiat system is so corrupt. Like none of these things have changed and people are desperate. You have to be really desperate in order to leave your family or your, your own language, your own customs and stuff. Like it doesn't come like, oh, one day I woke up and I just really want to go to the USA and go through all of this trouble, blah, blah, blah. No, like it comes from a state of desperation and of survival like your survival instincts kick in. So, but if we had a Bitcoin world where people had their own money and, and our own economies were prospering, it, the economy wasn't just hijacked by corrupt politicians, et cetera, it would be a very different world. And I think that's the world where we wouldn't really care about borders. We would just be focused on building each other up that would build our communities up and eventually all different countries up in their own different way. So that's why I'm super hopeful for Bitcoin. I do, I do think Bitcoin fixes this in some way. Absolutely. It's huge. Yeah, I think a lot of people, like when they think about South America, you know, specifically Colombia, they think of drugs. Um, they think of the cocaine, uh, you know, which, you know, does is a huge part of the country you know, and the corruption. But they don't think about the economic circumstances of, you know, inflation, like Argentina. A lot of people don't know about inflation in Argentina. They don't know about you know, all the meddling in, uh, you know, from Western country, larger Western countries like the United States going in and, you know, extracting a bunch of resources and, um, you know, with oil and, you know, different mining and stuff like that. They don't think about, um, you know, I, I think South America has some of the largest or highest uh, corporate taxes, tax rates, um, which makes it, you know, prohibitively expensive or smaller businesses to start. And then as far as like, you know, I know this is a thing in Mexico, um, you know, it's very difficult to go out and start a business because you need to know people and, uh, you know, essentially get permission from the oligarchy running it. Um, I think a lot of that plays into why there's lack of opportunity. Like you're saying the corruption of the fiat system. Um, but yeah, specifically in Colombia, why do you think there's uh, you know, lack of opportunity in general? Um, ooh, we're getting into spicy stuff. <laughs> no, but this is good. Um, I just think it's, Colombia has been known, at least for its politicians, to be very corrupt. So, I mean, every politician in some way, a government, let's say, is corrupt in their own way in every country, right? This is just, like, from personal experience. Um, just, like, taking taking advantage of the most vulnerable people. Um, so politics, let's say, and I haven't talked about this in a podcast before. I had a conversation with someone this weekend, but this is kind of like, like again, when I talk is from personal experience. So this is just like me saying what, what I've seen, right? Anyone can come and debate me on this stuff, but I talk from personal stories, not just, and this is why I, I just wanna put it out there. This is just my opinion. But um, we've seen that if you know the right person and you owe them favors and stuff, like you will get pulled out of nowhere to be in these very important positions. So I know of people, uh, you would think that a senator has like great education, is a lawyer, um, of some sort, right? That has like the qualifications in order to be able to run a country. They falsify documents in order to look like they qualify for this, these positions. They get on top of these positions and then they extract as much as they can from it. So you have campaigns that are going to the most vulnerable saying, hey, if you vote for me, I will give you money, like right now. If I give you money right now, promise that you'll vote for me. And they'll do it because these are very poor people that are really hungry. And this is in the physical sense now, are really hungry, want to survive and they'll take it. And so I just feel like that system in itself is really corrupt. And in countries like Colombia, you mentioned the thing about drugs, especially when it comes to youth is like the only way you can really get ahead, especially if you're in very, if you're in a lot of poverty, these people can only get out of there, one, if they, they become amazing soccer players and hopefully become international superstars, or two, they're going to start joining games. 
in order to be able to, to get money and provide for their family and for themselves. And then that feeds into the loop of more corruption, more drugs coming in, because now you have like this distribution network of all of these young people that are just trying to figure out how to survive, which is really sad. And um, that's, I think that's where the corruption stems from, the people on the top where you have to know them in order to be able to move up. If you don't know anyone, you're just kind of stuck in the middle. Like there's no, there's no way for you to get out of there. And I think what's super sad is that countries like Colombia, there's so much innovation. They're really smart people, innovative people, entrepreneurs, like you say, but it's how, how are they gonna get these ideas out there? The only way is for you to get money from ex entities that probably come from corruption and from a different type of power. Other ways, the only way you can make it is probably you leaving the country and trying somewhere else. So that's kind of how it works, <laughs> at least what I've seen. Yeah, super interesting. We're, we're starting to see this pick up a lot more, uh, I think as a result of the internet and how the internet doesn't have borders. It's an idea that's talked about in the sovereign individual of jurisdictional arbitrage of, you know, people moving to where there's freedom and opportunity. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, it's going to be really interesting. And I'm still a little bit wary of what's going on in El Salvador because, you know, the second that they did that, you've got, you know, these big power brokers like the IMF and the State Department reaching out to them, you know, which is super you know, concerning to me. Um, but uh, I think we're going to see that happen where, you know, we could see a massive shift back down to South Central America of people bringing industry and innovation down there out of the U.S. if we don't, uh, you know, have a good response to all the innovation going on, <laughs> which I'm pretty... Yeah, that's, yeah. I'm that's pretty, the game theory. Yeah. You know, like that's the game theory. It's if America's not going to be fast in accepting Bitcoin, the people that understand Bitcoin here are going to want to go down to these countries and create their own citadels, essentially, right? And what does that mean? That means that money's leaving the United States and that the United States probably doesn't want that <laughs> to have all of this wealth, like start moving into, into all these different countries. So I, I feel like we're in game theory now where it's just like, okay, Let's see where people are going to start shifting, like you said. I've, I've seen so many people say that they're considering moving to El Salvador. A lot of Bitcoiners saying that. And it's just like, you wouldn't have said that like three months ago. No one would have said that. But it's how Bitcoin starts to open these doors, these new opportunities. And these countries are very fertile soil for the innovation and for new infrastructure and stuff because they've been behind for a lot of years now so to have all of these brilliant minds come together to make a better place out of these countries where they weren't even born in just because they want to see the mission of bitcoin thrive and want to see bitcoiners thrive and just want to push for a better world is absolutely beautiful like i don't see any other group of people trying to do this yeah, NFTs aren't really helpful. <laughs> That's like the first time I've heard the word in my <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, those are passing trends, right? Like, and that's the thing about these other markets that they're going to always try to do what what's the trendy thing or what's the next thing. That's like the Silicon Valley type of mindset. When it comes to Bitcoin, it's not like that. And a lot of people were saying that they're worried that El Salvador is just going to be like a trend, that no one's going to really jump on it. But it's like, well, wait a second. This is actually an opportunity to build it and make it an example for the rest of Latin American countries, which is why so many people are coming together to start translating, to start translating a uh, stuff from English to Spanish so that there can be better education, the new podcast that we're creating so that there can be education. Like there's a lot of hard work and effort that's going behind this to where it's like, we're now making it our own personal mission, each and every Bitcoiner to make sure that El Salvador wins. We don't want it to see it fail. We want to push as much as we can and have this become a movement, not, not just a trend. Yeah, by the way, I would have uh, moved down to El Salvador like three months ago. Mike Peterson, uh, um, 
invited me to go visit there and I was super, super excited about it. But my girlfriend is not very uh, excited about that idea. (laughs) Maybe you can convince her. Um, And and people are starting to post pictures, not only about how Bitcoin works and stuff, but also showing like the beautiful things that El Salvador has to offer. So I think it's just trying to communicate that. I would love to go. I'm waiting for my passport (laughs) and I have some upcoming tricks, but I've had this conversation with my husband where it's just like, this is a moment in history. Like we're making history right now. It would be so sad to miss seeing it in person when we had the opportunity to do so. Right. So even if it's like, just like a weekend, a weekend getaway where you can just like go down there and, and see what's going on. Um, I don't know. You should tell your girlfriend it's like a mini vacation to a really awesome place with a lot of awesome people. <laughs> yeah, I think she likes the idea of vacation a lot better than an actual move. Um, so maybe that would be a good place to start. But yeah, it's and there's something that's so exciting, you know, about that of seeing people that are really hungry for better money. You know, in the United States, uh, we have so much financial privilege. Alex Gladstein did that amazing article on it. Um, and, you know, I talked to my friends about like why we need to end the Fed and why we need decentralized money and why we need hard money. And, you know, the problems with like coercion and legal tender laws and, you know, being forced to use this like piece of garbage currency. And they're like, yeah, well, I'm going to go buy Dogecoin or I'm going to go put my money in the stock. You know, I don't really care about that. Um, and it just like, why, why am I, sometimes I just have this feeling of like, you know, why waste time when you can go to places where people truly want to be liberated, you know, and step into you know, the future of this amazing currency? And I think that's also why I love Twitter so much, because you have all of these conversations going on 24-7 about the same message. It's people that really care about this, that have a vision not only for themselves, but for humanity as a whole. You know, like, obviously, we're going to benefit from it in terms of just being selfish. Like, yeah, number go up. That's really cool. But the conversation has really shifted to we don't even talk about number go up anymore. Like, yes, that's important, but that's not the conversation anymore. The conversation is more about how can we spread this to the 8 billion people in this world? And those those conversations just like fill your heart, you know, your soul and your heart, because there's nothing better than working towards something that you truly believe in, that you know it's going to be good for humanity as a whole. But having a whole army of people behind you that stand with you on that same mission, it just like, it gives me chills to think about. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're alone, right? When you talk to friends like that or people that don't get it and they're like, dismiss it or they think that you're kind of crazy or in a cult or whatever and that kind of hurts it's just like oh like no no I'm not if only you guys could see this amazing world that we're living in and that you can also be part of it that's the beauty of it anyone can join this movement it's just I think people need to start caring about other people and that's what will really make them make them stay in bitcoin for other reasons than just number go up yeah i mean this is a thing i i've i used to be somewhat of a you know lefty um with the idea of like thinking like we need to like i'd love my tax dollars to go to these social programs and stuff like that and bitcoin really helped me get out of that i was studying social work a few years ago when i went down the big bitcoin rabbit hole and um but i think like something that is missing from like a lot of conversations like well at least like with the political labels that are put on people there's this idea that if you're a libertarian or libertarian minded person if you're a freedom oriented person if you're a capitalist it's about selfishness and not caring about people and i think that's so false um and you know i i believe in these things because i do care about people like i just see that the more government control and manipulate like we were talking about these governments are corrupt and they make it prohibitively difficult for people to uh help themselves you know with business creating businesses and creating wealth they they steal from us and and that's what these taxes are um and there's something yeah so it's just 
Yeah, I love it. I love what you're saying. I agree. <laughs> yeah, of course. It's about giving people their power back, their freedom back. And you know what's crazy is that even before all of this, you start thinking, you know, like, oh, how can I make an impact in this world, right? Like, I'm just like such a tiny person in the whole grand scheme of things. I really don't have influence. I really, I really don't have power. Um, and then that's also how you kind of just conform and get stuck in the rat race. Like, you know what, I'm just going to get whatever job that's going to get me by, that's going to pay the bills, whatever. Like, there's a lot of people with that mentality nowadays. But then you start to realize with this movement, because that's what it is, like you do have a lot of power. You have a voice that you can share. You can connect with people from all over the world because we have the internet now. I've never been more grateful about the internet than after Bitcoin, <laughs> after seeing like the potential that it has, right? And when you start to realize these things that all you have to do in order to be part of this movement is plant a little seed somewhere. And by planting a little seed, it can be talking to someone about Bitcoin. It can be posting about it on social media. It can be doing an awesome podcast where a lot of people can listen to these conversations and kind of get an idea of what Bitcoin really is, that it's not just about number go up. Like any talent that you have and you kind of spin it around Bitcoin and you put it out to the world, that's a seed that you're putting and planting and as long as you nourish it it's going to grow and we may not be alive to see all the fruits of the labor that we've done you know we we i don't feel like we're able to understand how much of an impact we can make with what we're doing right now and a lot of people get scared because they're like i don't know enough about bitcoin to talk about it or i just got i just got in the community i'm a noob whatever it doesn't matter even if you're just documenting your journey on Bitcoin, which is what I started to do, it's only been seven months for me. You know, like if you start documenting your journey and people start to see those stories, they're going to connect with those stories. Because like you said, we're humans. When you start to see someone for the human that they are and that you see that they have emotions, they have feelings, they, they have a brain where they can think for themselves. Once we start realizing that, that and having that connection, that makes more of an impact than anything else or any campaign or any advertisement that can be thrown out there for anything. So we're very powerful people. I don't think we've just realized the, the potential that we have. And El Salvador is just proof of that. Like we're, we're changing the world. And people, the people that have been putting the work in El Salvador have proven that to us that, hey, it can start with a very small community just teaching about Bitcoin until it becomes a whole city that's in Bitcoin, until it becomes a whole country that's talking about Bitcoin. Like this is huge and we need to take advantage of this momentum and just keep going, keep going no matter what. Yeah, and I think this is why um, Bitcoin meetups is, are so important. And then as well as like, you know, just um, a, a lot of people don't see the importance of like investing in their local um, uh, communities and circles of, of people that are at least, you know, underestimate the importance of it because we see so many people so wrapped up in the national, you know, conversation, you know, with politics and all this BS um, where we really do have power you know, as with our friends, you know, and our families to, to create change. And I think like addressing things more locally instead of focusing on things that we don't have control over is, you know, incredibly important. But yeah, the internet is interesting because it gives us such a louder voice than ever before, um, which is fun. It's really fun. Absolutely. And the thing is, it can be, we're fighting against these people that have very loud voices that are against Bitcoin, right? Like it goes, it goes both ways. There's the people that are no coiners, just super sour about Bitcoin. But then you have us kind of like pushing back all the time and it's important. Even if you don't have a gazillion followers, any tweet that you put out there that's defending Bitcoin, it's going to, it's being documented on the internet, you know, and anybody will, will be able to find it. So that's why we have to be louder than ever and louder than those voices because they spread so much misinformation, you know, that can delay the whole Bitcoin adoption. So I think about it as kind of like a battleground for little soldiers that are out there 
you know, defending what Bitcoin is and pushing it forward, well, we are going to have attacks coming from every single angle. And it's up to us to be able to educate yourselves and just fight it, fight it as much as we can and prove to the world that what they're saying isn't true and that Bitcoin is here to benefit absolutely everyone. That's the message that we we have to send. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And what's funny about these fudsters is they're not really doing a whole lot of favors for themselves with their arguments. It, but I mean, I, I saw a stat recently that 17% of Americans own Bitcoin. And I think that's crazy. Oh my, how much? 70? 17. I, oh, I was, 17. Man, if it was 70, <laughs> we're going to get there someday. <laughs> but yeah, and that's the thing. We're still so early. A lot of people think, oh, I missed the boat. Like, oh, I could have bought five years ago, 10 years ago. And it's like, Bitcoin is on sale right now. You know, we're still super early. We still have a lot of work to do. So it's better to join sooner than later so that we can all get to the goals that we want to reach reach together and don't look at the price just start thinking about bitcoin one bitcoin will always equal one bitcoin no one can take it away from you if you know how to self-custody it's not in the hands of the government where they can manipulate it however they want how and they can continue stealing from us like it's such a valuable asset based on math that no one can mess with and that's the beauty of it that's that's why a lot people need it more than ever I feel like people trust in the government too much nowadays also. They just feel like all of the all of the responsibility is on them to make us happy and to make us, you know, thrive or whatever, but that's not the case. Bitcoin teaches you that it's about self-responsibility, learning about yourself, learning about money and learning how you can make the world a better place. Don't wait for anyone or the government. Don't trust anyone. Don't trust, just verify <laughs> that what you're doing is is working for you and it's and it's working towards your movement. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So yeah, you got into Bitcoin full steam ahead, you said about seven months ago. So what what was the orange pill moment for you? So my husband, um we got married in July and we moved in together August. I had no idea my husband had been orange pilled and had been orange pilled for quite some months now. It was with everything that started with the pandemic that kind of got him down the rabbit hole. And he says that it was also people on Twitter, gold bugs arguing with Bitcoin that (laughs) grabbed his attention. And he was like, okay, let me find out about this. Um, It turns out that he would wake up, start listening to podcasts start listening to Citizen Bitcoin, start listening to Marty Bent and Matt Waddell. And it kind of went over over my head. Um, I didn't really understand it. And to be honest, I just thought it was going to be way too complicated for me to understand. Like I definitely kind of just told myself like, hey, let him learn. And, you know, eventually you'll catch on, whatever. We had Thanksgiving dinner with his family and he was trying to orange pill his dad. And just seeing how well he like answered his dad's questions about Bitcoin and stuff like the whole time he thought he was orange peeling his parents, but he orange peeled me. And I just stayed quiet the whole time listening to the back and forth. And I was just really impressed. And then I read the Bitcoin standard and that was it for me. I was just like, this is crazy. How had I never asked myself about what money was or, you know, how everything runs and, the history of money and it was it was just like the aha moment for me and then seeing that bitcoin being that there's only 21 million i i just made it a personal mission with my husband like well now we have to acquire as much as we can you know because this is not only going to be for us but if we plan on having a family in the future is this really going to help and being millennials right we're like in the worst position like if bitcoin didn't exist i feel like we would be in the most depressing depressing position ever because houses are starting to go up. Salaries are not going up. Like the older generations literally took our lunch to where if we wanted to build a future, it will definitely have to take a lot more time or a lot more debt. 
in order for us to accomplish it. So this kind of like gave me hope in a personal sense as well. And why I absolutely love Bitcoin because it's like, okay, they took our lunch, but now I'm going to take it back. And now I can silent protest by buying Bitcoin and just getting out of that fiat system. So, and from the get-go, I also understood that I know there's other things that exist, but I'm only going to focus on Bitcoin because I want to put all of my energy and effort into studying this and trying to understand it. And the more that I did, the more I realized that the other projects didn't make sense for me to go <laughs> down that rabbit hole. And time is so valuable. Like that's the one thing that's more scarce than Bitcoin is our own personal time that I just told myself, hey, you know, this is scarce. Um, just be disciplined. I fell in love with Bitcoin and I feel like I'm a really faithful person as well. So I feel like I'm just faithful to this movement and there's nothing that can rattle me from it. That's awesome. Yeah, one of the things you kind of alluded to is this idea of like generational conflict between, you know, older generations and younger generations in regards to, you know, the decisions that they have made with monetary policy. I mean, it, it, the way I look at it is like if I ran up like 40 grand on credit cards and I just handed it to my parents and was like, here you go, you know, it's your debt to deal with now, they probably wouldn't be very happy. Um, so, you know, part of me, I, I'm kind of split on this. Part of me, you know, feels like justified to be resentful at the boomers, you know, for what they, you know, allowed for, you know, for our generation to just get totally screwed. And then part of me at the same time feels like, you know, we're all in the same boat together, you know, and they're also victims of this fiat system, you know, because as they're, you know, they were fed a bunch of lies and it wasn't as blatant, the obvious as it is today. Um so, you know, I think I probably need to work through that on my end. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I really, I really appreciate that. And I think you're absolutely right. Like, they, I don't think they realize they, they are not very low time preference and don't think of the consequences in the future. And you always want to give them like benefit of the doubt that, you know, they didn't want to do this intentionally. Um let's hope right <laughs> um but now you see now you see boomers also buying bitcoin and stuff because they realize that oh crap like things are not going well for us either and it, it's super crucial for them to realize this sooner than later because think about all of the work that they've put on for years and to see it evaporate now as quickly because they're deciding to print more money and stuff, that would be completely terrifying for me. And I would like to think that they're not only working for themselves as well, but they decided to build a family in a future and just like help establish a solid foundation for the generations to come, right? So I absolutely agree with that. We are all in the same boat. Humanity is all in the same boat, you know? Like it doesn't matter if we're living now or for future generations, like we just have to do something now. Like this is this is the true emergency, right? Like I know there's like climate change, et cetera, et cetera, but we have to fix our money in order to actually help with these other issues. Because if we try to tackle these issues with fiat money and fiat policies, we're not gonna get anywhere. And it's just gonna become a political game of who sounds the smartest or who's actually going to save the earth when they're really not gonna do anything these people in power. So we just need to take that power back. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like on the topic of climate change, um, I really care about the environment and I would, um, I wouldn't call myself an environmentalist uh, necessarily, but climate change, like, you know, why aren't these, all these elites selling their beachfront property? You know, if, what they're saying is true. You know, what we're seeing more of is like, we see all these, like the corruption of, I, I think a good term for it is fiat food. You know, you've got all these unhealthy foods that are um, uh, subsidized. You've got um, these awful pesticides, which are totally, you know, destroying the environment and poisoning people. You've got, you know, GMOs, which are totally messing things up. And, and even that's an exploitation of the farmers, you know, because they sell them these GMO seeds, you know, that don't produce seeds. So they have to continuously buy it. And it's just so, it's, it's garbage, um, you know. And I think like my realization around this, I spent, I've spent a couple months in Peru. And when I was down there, they don't have all the GMOs and, and BS in their food. Yeah. And my skin was so clear and I felt so good. 
Oh my and gosh, was... yeah. I love Peru. I've actually been to Peru before. And their yeah, their food is so fresh. Um, and the people are awesome as well. But you're absolutely right. It's like when you compare some other countries to what's going on in the USA right now, it's like we're literally killing each other. We're killing each other. Like there's no other way of putting it with the food system, the the propaganda that they start to feed us. Like it's all propaganda and people trust it. Like that's the problem. People don't take a step back to actually think about what's going on, do their own research. And like I said earlier, like they just trust that the government is doing the best. And it's like, no, they're not. And we have so many studies and talk about it about how what they've been doing it's not right you know you see the people that are in power they're probably not the healthiest either you know like they're not following these guidelines that are supposed to make americans be a lot healthier and stuff just by attacking your own citizens health that says a lot like what else are you going to care about you know if you don't care about your own people why would you want to care about anything else so that's the that's really the sad reality that they don't care and that's why you have to take a step back see what's going on and see how you can make your life better take that responsibility back because it's possible like if one person is able to do it other people are able to do it you just have to figure it out on your own and see and see what works for you yeah yeah a hundred percent i mean just like off the bitcoin energy conversation because this is one that comes up my sister asked me about this because one of her professors at school mentioned it to her. And, you know, like if, if this really is an emergency, um, like they say it is, we need to be going after things that aren't like necessary, you know, like Christmas lights use a ton of electricity and they're completely worthless. You know, they provide no utility to society whatsoever. I mean, they're fun, you know, whatever. Um, I live in the desert. We have a ton of grass out here that's artificially planted, uses up all the water. That's not really necessary um, to, in a lot of extent. Um, uh, golf courses, you know, in the desert, you know, there's just like millions of things that we could go after, you know, that are important. Like we could be focusing on like airlines, you know, and they're never targeted, you know, and or the private and, jets of people up on top that are like climate change. And it's like, really, you're taking private jets and there's pictures of you doing it. Like you're, you're, you're not aligned with your message. You're just trying to brainwash, brainwash a whole bunch of people so that you sound really pretty on paper and they vote for you. That's the reality of it. It's all an agenda and it's not an agenda that benefits normal people. And I think that's the thing that's incredibly important for people to understand. So, Absolutely. Just, and if we could take it down like up a notch, it's like central banks. <laughs> it's like, let's, let's start attacking the energy use of, of these central banks and entities and stuff. Because I feel like with technology nowadays, we can be a lot more efficient and actually save a lot of energy and stuff but you have these big guys that just don't want to give up power and it all just comes to selfishness power ego that are all with this smaller group of people that are literally affecting everyone in the world and that's the real pyramid scheme right there yeah i mean there's always going to be selfishness you know attempts to attain power you know unfairly and massive egos you know every every single monetary system there is but when you look at the fiat system and how it's different than like a hard money system uh they can do it so much less expensively you know because like if you look at hard money you're incentivized to produce value and be competitive you can't just like be a zombie company continuously getting loans and giving multi-million dollar bonuses to your um executives while filing bankruptcy like Hertz did um and it's not about efficiency it's not about you know competitive natures it's not about you know creating more sustainability and I think this is um just insane when we talk about like the mainstream um conversations around economics and and politics it's, it's just it's so silly like we're gonna have a bunch of people flying around on private jets 
you know, leading the charge uh, around regulations um, due to climate. And, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to put a carbon tax on uh, driving. You know, that's what they're floating and talking about. And who does that impact? It impacts all those people that are having to work second and third jobs doing like Uber, you know, stuff like that to provide food for their families, you know, and their kids and, and to pay their rent. And it's just insane. It's a system built on lies. And unfortunately, it's, that's the reality of it. But the hopeful part of it all is that it's going to crumble in the end. Anything that's built on lies, and this is just like a rule of life, I guess, anything built on lies is going to crumble sooner than later. And I think it's, it's happening right now, especially with Bitcoin coming in the, in the playing field with this hard money where, like you said, you're incentivized to provide value. All these people are incentivized to do is provide lies that will get them further down the line. So, and this is the important thing. It's like people, people that are going to be listening to this that are on the fence about Bitcoin. It's like, what system do you really want to belong in? Do you want to belong in this system that continues to feed lies to people that it's literally killing people? Or do you want to go into the other side of, of Bitcoin, of hard money, where we're literally fighting for a better world? It's, it's, it just comes down to that. We're the ones that are worried about climate change. We're the ones worried about helping the poor people. We're, we're, we're the ones that are fighting for all of these freedom rights that everyone deserves in the world, no matter where you are. So it just comes down to people realizing or being brave enough to face the reality and the reality that it was hard for me. It was hard for me when I read the Bitcoin standard and going down that rabbit hole to see, wow, I was living a lie my whole life. I've felt pretty selfish throughout all of this. You know, I've, I'm, I'm contributing to these lies even more. But when you have this alternative, this option that's so much better, like how can you not jump into that and actually attempt, you know, in your lifetime to just build something better for yourself, for your family, and for someone random in Africa, let's say, that it's like, when could I have ever done that? You know, like never, it would have it been impossible. Yeah, that's great. It's, yeah, Bitcoin standard. Were, were you a big fan of modern art or something? I'm sorry? Were you a big fan of modern art before reading the Bitcoin standard? No, <laughs> but it's definitely taking me down a different rabbit hole, <laughs> for sure. And just appreciate things that are more low time preference. I think that was also like a huge lesson, like, you know, don't be, don't be faced by the flashy and stuff that just passes real quick just focus on on building and having the patience. And I mean, I had the patience with my story, right? With becoming an immigrant, waiting 10 years to be able to travel back to my country. Like that taught me a very huge lesson. Um, and that's something that I can apply it to anything in life right now. Like having that low time preference, working on it and being able to, to have you know that you're going to get something out of it and that it's totally going to be worth it. And that's the way to live life, really. <laughs> I feel like that that's a huge lesson. I had no idea the term low time preference existed or high time preference existed before that book. So it definitely just changes you as a person completely. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important points of that book is talking about how money influences time preference. For me as well, that was, that was the moment where I got it. Like, I, I just remember, like, watching people act like zombies at, on Black Friday and, you know, just being baffled about, like, why is this happening? You know, why do people have so much credit card debt and why don't people have savings? And then seeing being able to finally connect that to money, the way it works was just, it blew my mind. Um, yeah, and it, it's realizing that, People that live a high time preference life aren't necessarily happy people. What they actually do is just get like that dopamine hit that kind of like gets them on that high, but they come down from it again. Whereas in a low time preference, I feel like you truly can be happy, even if it's like really hard work and patience, it's a virtue, you know, like it's, it's hard. Low time preference is a hard way to live, but you truly get that genuine happiness seeing what the outcome's going to be from having that, having that patience. You're not going to be in debt, right? You're not trying to show off to anybody. You just become a truer version of yourself. And so it's important to 
relay that message that if you really want to be happy, high time preference is not going to do it for you. It's going to be like a drug where you're just going to have to do more high time preference things to try to live up to those expectations. But low time preference is where it is. And it's, we're all going to die someday, right? It's important to just look back and see like, was I really happy with what I built in this life? Like, was it all worth it? And I think low time preference is the only way you really can have that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think people be thinking too much about their Instagram likes on their deathbeds. Yeah, no, or yeah, definitely not. Especially since that, that world is fake. It's such a high time preference world. Yeah, so it took you seven years to get legal residency in the United States, and then I, or am I misquote? Was it ten years? Ten years, yeah. Okay, and then I think it was a, another additional seven to get citizenship. Is that correct? Yeah, about six to seven. Yeah. So, what was that process like? Um, <coughs> deal once you were able to get that citizenship. Oh, honestly, it was. I felt good, like between the residency and my citizenship, it felt really good because, you know, you have like all this weight lifted off your shoulder because you're not undocumented anymore, right? Like you still have, you still have rights, maybe not all the rights of like an American citizen, but you still have rights. And this is, you can call, now call this your home officially, right? Without having to hide or run from the police or anything like that, right? Um, but the process of becoming a resident to a citizen, um, I felt like I was more than ready for it, especially since the process of like, you have to learn all of these 100 questions about the United States of America and what it stands for and like go to this interview and you have to actually pass the exam. Um, it just made me realize, like I said, I'm, I'm in love with this country and what it stands for. Like, I truly believe the United States stands for freedom. It's just sad that nowadays, that's not what it really is. Um, but it just, you just come to really appreciate the whole journey of coming from somewhere else, then coming here, learning the language, learning the customs, the people, like Thanksgiving doesn't happen in Colombia. That's like an American thing, you know? <laughs> just learning how to appreciate everything that this country has to offer. And then finally passing that test, it was just like, you just want to cry. It's like a huge, it's a huge accomplishment because there's so many sacrifices behind it. Like not being able to see my family for, for 10 years. My grandpa died in Colombia and I couldn't go to his funeral because if we went, we wouldn't be able to come back for another 10 years, you know, like stuff like that, that they're battle scars, but they make you stronger. So honestly, I'm really happy to be an American citizen and to have had that journey. And if I, if I had to do it again, I totally would like without, without a doubt, because without it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be who I am right now. And maybe I wouldn't have heard about Bitcoin for a really long time, which is like a scary thing to think about, but it's all part of the story. So that's what we need. We need freedom. That's exactly what I felt when I got my citizenship, even though some people may say that, well, you're not as free anymore, right? Um, it's just fighting for that, for that feeling again. Um, and not only for people that are immigrants, but for people that were also born here. We're all looking for the same thing. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, I love hearing stories like that. And it's just so exciting. Um, to you know see people like really value what it, what this country is and and you know the ideas that we've experimented with here you know with the bill of rights and with freedom you know that is relatively new in in human history um mm -hmm. it's just yeah it's absolutely incredible um where where are some good places people can follow your work so People can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> I kind of broke up with Instagram <laughs> and chose Twitter after going down the rabbit hole. So you can find me at Camilla Camden. Just put in my full name and you'll find me there. Um, and for Spanish speakers, or if you want to get people, uh, your friends that speak Spanish, start teaching them about Bitcoin, you guys can follow me on the Swan channel 
at YouTube slash Swan Signal Live, where Javier and I are going to be doing our Spanish shows every Monday. Um, so yeah, we're just excited to see the community grow and it's always good to feel that you can contribute in any way that, that you can. Awesome, yeah. Make sure to like all of our videos on there too. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Those are the videos that I just started just for laughs and giggles. Didn't think anything of them, but people really enjoyed them. And, you know, as long as you can connect with people, I, I'll do whatever it takes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, this is really fun. Thanks for coming on, Camila. Thank you for having me, Alex. This is great. Man, a lot to take away from the conversation. That was a lot of fun with Camila. Make sure to go follow her on Twitter. She's always posting you know, some great content and, uh, check out the show Bitcoin and Espanol. If you're a Spanish speaker, if you're not like me, you can just shill it to all your Spanish speaking friends. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I'm pretty excited about what they're doing over there at Swan, you know, with all their content that they're creating and, and just, you know, getting Bitcoin, you know, minting Bitcoiners rather than just getting people to buy Bitcoin. There's a big difference there. Uh, you know, people that are freedom oriented rather than just opportunistic. And I love that about Swan. Uh, but yeah, we got some meetups coming up in Arizona. Uh, we had a meetup on Saturday. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And we have a meetup coming up this next Wednesday in Phoenix. And Kelly Lannon will be doing a presentation most likely on Bitcoin urbanism. And I'm pretty stoked about that so hope to see you there get to your bitcoin meetups um, if you don't have one in your area feel free to reach out to me or Stephen cole and uh on twitter and we can you know, give you some tips and, and starting it uh but yeah the community aspect is, is super super important we're we're looking at expanding to more and more events uh, more casual events as well as more you know structured uh, presentations where people can really come in and learn uh, and the energy is crazy I'm also talking with Santos about potentially starting a Bitcoin gaming meetup uh, somewhere in Arizona and if you're interested in that if you've been playing uh, CSGO and earning sats or you know anything with Sebedee or you know the other guys that are uh creating bitcoin games let me know that you're interested and we could work something out pretty stoked have a good one